Mindfulness, the Master Stress Management Tool In the Stress Reduction Workbook, I told you the story of the man who was trying to cut down the big tree with a dull saw. No matter how hard he worked, he wasn't seeing much success. It was suggested to him that he sharpen his saw so the sawing would be more effective. In these workbooks, you learn many saw sharpening activities. In the Stress Reduction Workbook, I introduced you to the concept of power tools, activities that have a profound effect on your stress levels. In this workbook, I want to introduce you to a power tool that will saw the tree 10 times more efficiently than the sharpened handsaw, and even more powerfully than the other power tools that we covered in the Stress Reduction Workbook. I consider it the glue that holds together all of the other stress prevention and stress reduction activities. It is intertwined and fundamental to all of them. It's so important and so powerful that I have devoted an entire workbook to this one principle. Yes, it is that important and powerful. So buckle up. We're headed for a fun ride. A stressed out Philip. There was a student who was sitting in the front of the room. It was about 10 minutes before the class was to start. He was just sitting there eating some yogurt. So I walked up to him and said, Hi, Philip. How are you doing? He looked at me and said, Oh, Doc, do you really want to know? I said, Sure. He continued, Oh, man, things couldn't be any worse for me. There's a guy who's been my business partner for quite a while, and now he wants to sue me for some business problems. I have two papers that are due next week. I've got a huge exam this week, and I'm having some relationship problems with my wife. He rattled off a few more things that were pretty serious for him. I said, Wow, sounds like you have a lot going on. You must be really feeling it. You're pretty stressed, aren't you? He said, Oh, yeah, Doc, you have no idea. What should I do? I replied, Do you really want to know? Yeah, tell me, what should I do? I continued, I think you should enjoy your yogurt. He didn't like that answer, but it's the best answer. When you're done with this workbook, you'll understand why. In all of my years studying and researching stress management, working with people, and practicing these principles and ideas on my own, I have found that nothing both prevents and reduces stress more powerfully than the mindset of mindfulness. In this workbook, we will spend a little while exploring how mindfulness works, and then I'll share with you several activities that will help you get the hang of it. Once you have it, it will change how you experience virtually everything in your life. Really, how the mind works. I'd like to start with some principles of the mind, some truths about how you and I think. These truths will guide you in understanding why you're so stressed all the time and also how to function mindfully so you aren't stressed. I will outline them first. Then I will go into much more detail about each one so you can really get a feel for how they work together to produce a perfectly stress-free state. Truths of the mind. You can only focus on one thing at a time. You are always free to think anything you choose. You can only directly experience this moment right here, right now. There is no stress in the present moment, except for very rare occasions, less than 1% of the time. Here and now is a stress-free place. When you bring your attention to the present moment, here and now, you get peace and no stress. Let me expand on each of these ideas. 
The first truth about the way the mind works is this. The mind can only have a dominant focus on one thing at a time. You can never think specifically about two or more things simultaneously. You can observe several things, but you can't focus directly on more than one thing. It may seem like that is what you do when you observe your thoughts jumping from idea to idea so quickly. It seems like you're able to think many things at the same time, but that's not the case. It's impossible for your mind to dwell on two different dominant thoughts at exactly the same time. Some people think they are experts at multitasking, doing several things at once. The truth is they are bouncing back and forth very quickly from task to task. Here's an example. You're driving and you get a text message on your cell phone. It's shouting at you to read it. As you divert your attention to your phone, you can't simultaneously focus on your driving. You can bounce back and forth from one to the other, but you can't focus directly on both things simultaneously. Another example, if you're reading this book, you can't at the same time watch the show that's on television. You can read, then watch, then read, and then watch, but the two can't happen together. I'll expand on multitasking a bit more later on. A second important aspect of the mind is, you are always free to think anything you choose. In other words, there are no restrictions as to what your mind can think about. Some have called this our God-given quality of free agency. Ultimately, no one has control over your thoughts except for you. What you choose to think about is entirely your decision. At any conscious moment, you can think about anything you want to, and your choices are unlimited. There may be consequences, benefits, or rewards for thinking certain ways, but ultimately, what you think is up to you. For example, if I asked you to think of dancing elephants on the rings of Saturn, you could put pictures in your mind of how that might look. At the same time, you have the power to think of anything else, perhaps dolphins with zebra stripes jumping over the Golden Gate Bridge. It's always your choice which thoughts you entertain in your mind. The Principle of Attrition Associated with your ability to choose is the principle of attrition. Not only do you have the power to choose where to focus your thoughts, you also have the power to choose where not to focus your thoughts. And as you cease focusing your thoughts on people, situations, and events that you would consider negative ones, the negative nature of those unpleasant conditions or ideas lose their power to control or influence you. Essentially, if you consistently aren't thinking about them, they lose their negative impact. This is not the same as avoiding or ignoring things that you find unpleasant. Ignoring or avoiding still involves thinking about them. Instead, you simply keep your attention focused on those areas of your life that you would consider positive, happy, and beneficial. These first two principles are important to keep in mind so that you understand that your stress really does begin with your thoughts. As I outlined in the Stress Prevention Workbook, if you are free to choose any thought, and you can only have one dominant thought at a time, it is you that always decides exactly which thought is on center stage of your mind. Understanding these principles also helps you realize the freedom you have to change your thoughts at any moment. Now for truth number three. You can only directly experience this moment right here, right now. Let's continue our discussion of these principles of the mind with some important questions. They may seem a little simplistic. 
I will ask them anyway because knowing the right answers will help you immensely to understand what it means to be mindful. Here are your questions. Where are you right now? The same question can be asked in a different way. Where is the only place you can directly experience? The only correct answer to this question, and it is the same answer every moment of your life, is here. You cannot be anywhere else but here. Certainly you can think you're in other places, or simply think of other places, but you can't directly experience any of those other places that aren't where you are right now. Where are you not? Anywhere else. You can't directly experience any place where your senses can't observe. You can't be at the store while you are driving to the store. While you're driving to the store, you're here is in the car and amongst the scenery on the way to the store. But you can't directly experience the store until you're at the store. You can only directly experience where you are. I know this sounds strange, but hang in there. This will all make perfect sense in a moment. The next couple of questions are similar to the previous ones. At what point in time are you always? This question can also be asked in a different way. When is the only time that you can directly experience? The only correct answer to this question, and it is always the same answer, is now. You can't be in your own future, nor can you be in your own past. Certainly, you can think of these times, you can make up all kinds of things about the future and the past, but you can never directly experience them. Imagine if I could experience my own future, I'd transport myself to one year from now, find out which stock has done the best between now and then, come back to now and buy a truckload of that stock. If I could relive a past event, I would go back to a decision I made that didn't turn out so well and make a different decision so things would turn out better. These both sound absurd because nobody can experience the future or the past. We are all stuck firmly in this moment of now. There is never a time for you, me, and everyone else when it is not right here, right now for us. This is our reality. It is what is. Always. The author Ron Smotherman accurately sums up this idea with this observation. All the confusion clears up when we realize that there's only one time, and that time is now. If you are willing to experience the truth that it is right now, your problems about the past and future will clear up. Why? Because there is no past or future. There is only right now. If you are stuck in what you call the past, you are stuck right now. If you spend your time daydreaming about the future, you do that process right now. You can't even go to these places called the past and the future. They are not real. Try this. You can focus your thoughts directly on two places to discover what is happening here now. The first place is from the information that comes from the outside world that reaches your brain by way of your senses. You hear something through your ears that is happening externally. The sound goes in your ears and you think about the nature of the sound. What you hear is reality. This works similarly with your other senses. You see a bird flying overhead. Hear it chirping as it goes by, and you recognize that you are experiencing the bird. It is real. The other place you can observe what is happening is internally. You have many sensations that are going on inside you that are every bit as real as the things that happen outside you. 
Perhaps you have a sore throat or a knot in your stomach. You may notice that gravity works when you drink some water. Unless you're upside down, the water goes down into your stomach instead of up into your head. There are other internal sensations you can experience directly, including a headache, arthritis, muscle tension, heartbeat, or respiration. I realize this might be a new concept for you. For many of us, we've been taught to look forward to the future, to see where we're going, and recall the past so that we can learn from our mistakes. I'm not suggesting that we don't want to use our mind in those ways. Remember, however, the focus of these workbooks is the prevention and reduction of your stress. You begin to do that by learning correct principles. The here and now, being the only reality you can directly experience, is a correct principle. Once you consider it and accept it, you're ready for the next powerful principle. Here and now is a stress-free place. The next principle of the mind suggests your here and now that I just described is a stress-free place. There is no stress in this present moment except for very rare occasions, less than 1% of the time. How could that be possible if stress seems to be such a constant concern in your life? Let's return to the idea in the first workbook regarding the stress response. Remember that the stress response is designed to keep us safe in the presence of physical danger. Recall also that you are in physical danger less than 1% of the time, so the rest of the time you are safe. By the way, here's another interesting idea. You can only be in physical danger right now. Think about that one. If you take the time to really examine your thoughts that lead to activation of the stress response, they're always focused on either the past or the future. Examples of future or past threat thoughts. You stress about the upcoming speech you have to give in front of a group of people. Future. You relive in your mind the argument you had with someone earlier in the day. Past. You feel anxious about calling the person who owes you money. Future. You feel embarrassed because you said something to some acquaintances that you think they took the wrong way. Past. These and all the other future and past thoughts send a message to your hypothalamus and nervous system to activate the stress response if there happens to be any threat thoughts among those future and past thoughts. But none of those false emergencies are happening right now. What is happening right now is almost always free from danger or any real threat. This brings us to the final mindfulness principle. Notice the synergy. Whenever you bring your attention to the present moment, here and now, you get relaxation. Once you understand that you are always free to choose any thought, that you can only think about one thing at a time, that here and now is your only reality, and that here and now is a safe place, you come to the final mindfulness principle that pulls each of these together. Since here and now is safe, and you're free to choose to focus on here and now by turning your focus to this present moment, you get relaxation. Since you can only focus on one thing, and if it is on a safe, threat-free situation, your body-mind will recognize the safety and not turn on the stress response. Try this. Imagine that you're driving your car and you find yourself in a traffic jam. You're on your way to work, and this traffic jam is causing you to be very late. The reality is that you are here and now, sitting in your car amongst a whole bunch of other cars. 
There's nothing inherently stressful about being in this situation. In other words, there's no reason for your body to turn on the stress response. The stress comes in when you catapult your thoughts into your own future and make up all the horrible things that are likely to happen to you because you are late for work. When this happens, your nervous system and hypothalamus, not being able to distinguish between thoughts about future events and thoughts about present moments, think you're in trouble now. Responding to the imaginary threat, your body turns on the automatic program for survival, the stress response. 